0: Biology. 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 Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. Today we are looking at the dot point. Uh, investigate the work of Robert Koch and Louis Pasteur to explain the causes and transmission of infectious diseases, including Koch's postulates and Pasteur's experiments on microbial contamination. All right, before we get into that, I think it's important to go over the leading theories at the time to explain how diseases and decay was caused. And the number one theory was spontaneous generation. And that was the idea that Life arose from non-living things. It spontaneously appeared from non-living things. Um, Now, we know today that that's a bit unbelievable, that something can come from nothing. Uh, But that was the leading theory at the time because there was evidence you could leave a piece of meat out and the next morning you would find that it has growth on it like maggots and other things. So that was the theory at the time and there was another competing theory of miasma which was the idea that there was bad-smelling airs, and those bad-smelling airs were what was causing disease. It wasn't necessarily the air itself um, that was causing disease; those the smell from rotting um, uh, animals or things on the ground. Um, but they were certainly a, a good way to avoid disease. If you smelt bad air, then you know that also supported their idea that it could have been that that was causing it. But neither theory was obviously supported over time. And really, it was the work of Pasteur and Koch that disproved this theory. Um, now, it wasn't their intention when they set out to do their experiments we'll talk about today to disprove the theory. They were more so trying to figure out certain things about diseases, and then subsequently, because they did that, then they managed to disprove the idea of spontaneous generation. So I'm actually going to start with Louis Pasteur, and mainly that's just because that's how I've always taught it, and he kind of was born first, I believe. Um and most kids would have heard of Pasteur. He is the individual named after the, the term pasteurization, which most kids have heard about, or if not, you can kind of explain it. Um, and that's the idea of, of heating a, a substance to kill any any germs and microorganisms, which is exactly what he, he figured out. Um, but where it all started with him is that he studied the uh, fermentation of beet juice. And he was finding that there was... Uh, Uh, living organisms within the beet juice and he wasn't really sure why but um, from that research he was actually hired to investigate the spoiling of uh, beer and wine and um, he found once again that there was a, a bacteria that was causing the beer and wine to spoil well in this case I think it was the wine And so he initiated the idea that if he heated the water up to a a set temperature or the liquid up to a set temperature, he could kill the bacteria. And that was the idea behind pasteurization. We now use it on things like milk um, and other products to kill all bacteria. It has to be done to a specific temperature so as not to denature the proteins. If you heat milk up too much, it will obviously um, make it go bad. So you've got to heat it up to a temperature where the proteins can be maintained, but the bacteria are killed So that was sort of the uh, start of his work around beet juice and, uh, and pasteurization and fermentation. From here, Pasteur went on to uh, refute the ideas of spontaneous generation and propose the idea of germ theory of disease, the idea that germs were causing diseases. And this is where his famous swan-necked flask experiment came in as well. And this is something that you should try and do at school if you have time. Um, It's a pretty simple one, uh, but it does show the students just how this works. So the idea is that at school at least, you set up uh, two swan neck flasks, you uh, put beef broth in them, and you boil them um, for a five, ten minute period of time. Um, And... When you boil them, you're obviously killing everything inside. Now, a swan neck, the idea of it is that it has a long, thin head that goes down to a single point and kind of loops around a bit like a swan. Um, You do have to look it up. My description probably isn't doing it justice. And the swan part of the flask, the idea is that air can't just naturally move up. Like, uh, you know, gravity is going to push any particles to the bottom of that sort of swan necked part. So he snapped the neck of one of those swan neck flasks after it had been boiled and left it open and exposed to the air. The other swan neck flask he left uh, with the swan neck still on and he left them for a period of time and... Over a period of time, the swan neck flask that had the neck that was broken off um, just started to develop bacterial growth. So you could actually see uh, microorganisms growing. You could, you could extract them from the top of the broth um, and they were visible to see under a microscope. The one that wasn't snapped off, however, had no growth. And even 150 years later, it actually still has no growth from Pasteur's original experiment, which is pretty cool. Um, but this was really supporting the idea that germs were actually in the air, which is which is actually aligned with what his hypothesis was. He wasn't aiming to disprove uh, spontaneous generation, as I said, uh, but he he obviously did so. But the idea was that uh, microorganisms were carried in the air, so there were there were germs in the air. And they can't just come from nothing. So they have to be from something else. And this sort of goes along with the cell theory that all things come from, all cells come from pre-existing cells. And that was the idea here too, uh, that these germs have to be in the air. And uh, as I said, the swan neck flask is a good one you can do at school. There's a few attachments you can use um, in order to do the experiment. All right, so that was his work on how diseases were potentially caused. Um, In terms of transmission, which is part of the dot point, one way he discovered transmission of a disease was his investigation into uh, anthrax. And with anthrax, the animals that were getting sick were not exposed to any other animals that had anthrax. So it was a bit confusing at the time. And so Pasteur actually figured out that Animals that had died in the past, obviously they didn't clean up the carcasses, they uh, would stay in the soil for a very long period of time. And so if you remember from last uh, episode I talked about reservoirs, the idea is that anthrax could actually sit in spores in the carcasses of dead animals for a very long period of time. And then when uh, new animals came through and were grazing in the same area, they were consuming some of these particles. And when they were doing so, they were obviously contracting the disease of anthrax. And so he was understanding the ideas that transmission isn't necessarily from animal to animal. It can also be uh, indirect transfer, as we spoke about last time. From here, he also looked at cholera in chickens, and he developed a way to attenuate or weaken the bacteria. And this is really the first, I guess, industrial production of vaccines. They had been made before, but not in this way. So he was um, developing a new way to produce vaccines, and he did prevent chickens from developing cholera successfully. Um, From there he went on to develop a vaccine for anthrax and uh, people weren't necessarily convinced by the vaccine so he had to do sort of public tests with the vaccine which is you know not good for the animals um, where some were given the vaccine and some weren't and um, as we know that vaccines are successful these days. All the animals that were vaccinated did survive, and those that didn't have the vaccine, most of them would die. So from here, he went on to develop more vaccines, an example being rabies, where he developed the one of the first vaccines that was actually given to a human um, that was produced on a, on a much larger scale. And this really now supports the ideas of immunity that we now understand and, and the ways in which we prevent infectious diseases. So this was instrumental in really changing the way in which we can stop a disease before it gets out of control. And it's, it is unfortunate at times that people don't understand the principles behind vaccinations and how it works and so where, where it's all come from and, and what it was like pre-vaccination. It would be good to, to send uh, everyone back in time just a little bit to see how things went back then. So at around about the same time, uh, Robert Koch was working on some other aspects of uh, disease-causing microorganisms and he was really one of the first people, well, he was the first person to really perfect the agar plate technique. And the agar plate technique, the idea that you can grow a bacteria on agar jelly. And agar, I always explain to my kids, is just like a perfect food for bacteria. It's got everything that bacteria needs to grow, all of the amino acids or whatever it is that the bacteria needs is all on that agar. So when you swallow bacteria onto an agar plate um, and put it in an incubator at a set temperature, the bacteria will grow over a period of time. And so he figured out that he could really isolate certain types of bacteria like anthrax using this technique. Now, from there, he actually went on and used this technique to really go through what's probably his most important contribution that we at least that what we talk about in the HSC, and that is Cox postulates. And Cox postulates is a way to effectively prove that a microorganism is causing a disease. And so the ways postulates work, and I always do this in in a lot of detail in my class, because as I said, this has been asked many times before in the HSC in many different ways. So if students can understand this principle, it is very important. So the postulates are this. Um, First of all, the same microorganism must be present in every diseased host. So if we use mice as an example here, imagine you have two diseased mice, and you extract some blood from from those mice, You look at their blood and you find they have the same microorganism. You're not sure that it's making them sick, but you notice that this is the same microorganism in both of these um, organisms, uh, in both of these mice. Now, what you want to do in step two is you want to isolate that microorganism that you found. So if it's a bacteria, for instance, you would try and extract uh, just individual bacteria from the sample that you got, and then you would try and grow it on an agar plate so that you have just that amount of bacteria, just that isolated single type of uh, bacteria or microorganism. Now, once you have a pure sample, step three is to reintroduce this to a new healthy organism and in this case it would be a mouse. So a healthy mouse you would inject it with a pure sample of that bacteria that you believe is causing the disease. Now if the mice develop the disease then that's a good third step that's part of step three still but it doesn't prove that it is the microorganism that's causing the disease. You need to get the blood sample from that mouse and have a look at it and see if you can see the same microorganism. If you can, then you can effectively say that it is that microorganism that is causing the disease. Now the way we remember it at my school is we use four terms starting with C to help the students remember and we also draw a diagram of the process. So the four terms we use are common, culture, cause, and compare. Common, culture, cause, and compare. Make sure the microorganism is in common between all organisms with the disease. Culture. Make sure you can culture an isolated sample of that microorganism. Cause. You want to cause the disease in a healthy organism, causing it to get sick. And compare. Compare the blood sample from the final diseased individual to the original sample. If they are the same, you can effectively say that that disease is caused by that microorganism. Now, when I draw this at school, I also get students to use a creative animal in order to represent their theory. So I, I quite often get them to think of a different animal that they could test this on with a different disease and then draw it out. It makes it a bit more interesting. The students do memorize it a bit better when they get to pick their own animals to draw um, but check out the uh, Facebook page if you want to see an example of a diagram and the four key terms common culture cause and compare. Now uh, Cox final contribution was using that idea to really figure out what diseases were being caused by what microorganisms and the two main ones that he's uh, you know that had probably the greatest impact were the discoveries of the bacteria responsible for tuberculosis and also the bacteria responsible for cholera Um, and from there he went on and worked on a number of different diseases across the world once again changing the way In which we understand disease the way that we treat disease and once again supporting the idea of germ theory the the idea that germs were really the cause of all diseases so without these two individuals we really wouldn't be as far as we are today even though at times it still feels like you know we're moving a bit slow considering they were doing vaccines uh, in the 1890s but here we are still using a lot of their principles today still using cox postulates still using uh, vaccines obviously so a, a really powerful impact these two individuals have had on the treatment of disease. Finally just a very quick thing you can add here for your students If you wanna see a good example of how Cox postulates were used, look up the example of uh, Marshall and Warren. So Barry Marshall, an Australian scientist who really had a lot of trouble trying to prove that a microorganism was causing a disease. So what did he do? Well, he decided to ingest the bacteria H. pylori himself and really undergo Cox postulates. So he obviously found the bacteria that was present in the patients he was examining he then decided he would culture it and get a pure sample. He then ingested this bacteria, which seemed crazy, but he knew that he had an antibiotic to treat it. He then re-examined his blood, once again finding that microorganism. So a great example of Cox postulates, and uh, one that did get him a Nobel Prize for really proving the idea that bacteria were the cause of these stomach ulcers and that it wasn't due to stress or smoking as uh originally thought. Well, as always, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, Head on over to any of the places where you can find this podcast and give it a like if you can. That would be greatly appreciated. Um, also check out the Facebook page for stuff, resources, whatever else you need. And finally, if you need any biotechnology things at school, make sure you check out STEM Reactor at stemreactor.com.au. They really have a lot of stuff for you to investigate um, and go through in class related to biotechnologies. That's stemreactor.com.au.